So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Welcome back to Drink in the Movies. What are we drinking today? We have a fantastic Northwest Pilsner from Hellbent Brewing Company, which is still open, even if they are behind a barricade. I've had this many times before, I believe. Always good. We have. It turned a little bit more mild here, a, a little bit more um, rainy, overcast. No more sun, so instead of getting a hazy, sunny IPA, we went with the more fallish Pilsner. And it's perfect. It hits the spot. What movies are we talking about today? We have Corey Finley's follow-up to Thoroughbreds, Bad Education, as well as Pablo Lorraine's Emma, who's most notably directed Jackie, starring Natalie Portman, which is one of the best films of the last decade. Uh, and then we have Robert Downey Sr.'s most famous and most infamous film, Putney Swope, which I believe we're quite thrilled to attempt to figure out how to have a conversation about. Very pumped to talk about it. Should maybe start by saying that Emma was playing for only 24 hours on Mubi, the streaming service, so we'll talk about that one without spoilers. For the first time in our extended history, that's the one and only. Um, but first, as always, first impressions. We got a couple Dev Patel titles today. The Personal History of David Copperfield and The Green Knight. Let's start with The Green Knight. Let's do it. You tell me a tale of yourself so that I might know thee. I have none to tell. Yet. You have none to tell yet. I fear I'm not meant for greatness. We all fear. But fear can be a gift. We just watched the trailer for David Lowry's The Green Knight. What do you think? I think it looks like a David Lowry film, which means I'm very excited. I guess under the surface, I'm interested to see how breathy or, or full-bodied Alicia Vikander's role will be. She's one of the better actresses working today that isn't getting very many opportunities. And when I think back to what Lowry did for Rooney Mara um, in kind of defining one of the roles that we see her as, I think side effects in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo are also very defining roles for Rooney. And Ex Machina is incredibly defining for Alicia Vikander. I'd be interested to see if there will be that type of room for her role here to kind of define herself a little bit more in this uh, 
surreal fantasy film that I'm very excited about. How about you? When I think of Rooney Mara, I always go Carol myself. Uh, mean, that's one of the, the uh, movie that roles. I really don't like, and I'm on the outside looking in. I've tried. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, you said it looks very much like a David Lowry movie. I would agree. It also looks very much like an A24 movie. I don't think they even needed to put their name on it. You know it's A24 mm-hmm. from the artisanal kind of aesthetic it's got going on, um, which I think looks cool. Um, it looks like a production that's maybe um, a little uh, too ornamental or decorative for my taste. Like, I don't. I hope it's not airless, but... Um, you know, I, I like the uh, change of pace for Lowry in a way into something uh, fantasy-ish. Uh, so, yeah, I'm intrigued. Well, didn't he do, forgive me if I'm wrong, Pete's Dragon? You're right. I didn't see Pete's Dragon, but yeah, um, I think you're right. So, I think Not that maybe territory. fantasy is something that he's drawn to. Even a ghost story to me is a fantasy about uh, a specter who doesn't move, essentially. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, maybe it's just the um, symbols that he's working with, right? Where here we have creatures and knights yeah. and dragons. That's what I think of when I say fantasy sometimes. Um, when you say ornamental, I also... It, it gives me the impression, uh, the florality of... It's at least reminiscent to me of, of Midsommar oh, in 100%. some ways. I, I'd be curious to see if they're using the same set dresser or any of the same crews as far as staging and framing there seems entirely plausible i think we're both pretty excited for a david lowry film that still says summer on the trailer i can only assume that they made summer of one of the years of the 2020s um i don't expect this will come out anytime soon i think first cow is going to be the first thing slated and we still don't have a definitive date for that last i checked So we'll be sitting on our hands for a while waiting for this one. But it's a trailer that we can watch and talk about. So here it is. It will come out in the future. On to the personal history of David Copperfield. My boyhood days seem now like a scarcely believable fiction. London is full of wonders and wickedness. And it's ours, David, to go wherever we choose. Well, I'm not down there. Creditors make that road impossible. Two tailors and a most unreasonable muffin man. Copperfield! Your mama is ill. How old is she? Very ill. Very ill. Very ill. Very ill. Dangerously ill. She's dead. We're very sorry. All right, Michael, that was the trailer for Armando Iannucci's The Personal History of David Copperfield. What do you think? sort of modestly interested in this. I'm not super familiar with Armando Iannucci, um, although I loved The Death of Stalin. I think that's really the only thing of his that I've seen. Um, it looks uh, very s- smart in its humor, um, you know, but as a comedic literary adaptation, that's something I normally get super excited about. Um, I also should say that I don't necessarily love Dev Patel now that we've centered our first impressions on him. Um, so it doesn't necessarily uh, add to my excitement, but um, I don't do majorly you dislike, dislike him, either. him. No, he just doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, um, Slumdog and Lion, he does a lot for me. There you go. In those two films. And how, uh, how, does, he, how does he strike you here? Interesting. It, it reminds me greatly of the 
I don't know what year version or even remember the actor's name, but it reminds me of the extended VHS version of Gulliver's Travels that I used to rent from the library when I was a kid. It has that quality of fantastical realism on this journey um, that I really respond to. It also has those, you know, cast of characters that mark the journey along the way and what feels to be fun uh, comedic banter. So I think this will be a film that I'll not only enjoy, but that it would be interesting for me to watch at, at many points in, in my life uh, because these fantastical comedies that are travel comedies, essentially, in the fantastical realm, um, I've just always responded to and been gripped by. There's something about it that I just like. So I think I'm going to genuinely and pleasantly like this. Yeah, definitely interested enough to check it out. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as members, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. On to bad education. a very real crime here, a theft of taxpayer money. The sum total is 250000 What? Oh, Jesus, 250000 Everything's fine. You can't jump the gun here, not when there's this much at stake. We need to know what we're dealing with. Frank. After everything we've worked for. Frank, you get this far. Frank. You have nothing to worry about. Frank's gonna fix this. This kind of behavior, it's cruel, it's sociopathic. Sociopathic? I am, I'm ashamed of my actions, I'm ashamed of myself, I'm, there's no excuse for it. Well, the sociopathy. Yeah, but, but. If a scandal gets out, we will lose everything. Some people come do the most horrible things. As you mentioned, this is directed by Corey Finley, mm-hmm. uh, who previously directed Thoroughbreds, which was his uh feature debut Mm -hmm. uh i love this movie i thought it was very sharply scripted very precisely directed what about you where are you at on this one i just about completely disagree with your assessment but the direction point i will i I will give lots of ground there and say it does remind me of some of the best parts of wes anderson's staging and framing however Mm -hmm the scenes that are staged and framed and my level of interest in them is far less than an Anderson film. Uh, not sure I see the Anderson comparison. He's like so meticulous and detailed and they're so whimsical. I'm surprised by that connection. Um, the, the connection's more about the level of meticulousness that I'm feeling in the staging and the 
angle of say the uh the scene where he's uh essentially playing george bush reading a uh storybook while something terrible is happening and the door opens and he's interrupted it's an incredibly boring backdrop but it is meticulously framed and very um i i think it just earns or or deserves a level of comparison to what I think of when I think of great staging and framing um, and its lack of whimsicalness is why I disliked it. And also it's lack of a through line, even though it's the film that we're talking about with the most through lines this week, mm. um, where it's the easiest plot to follow. I didn't ever feel attached to a character, which would be my main criticism in thoroughbreds. I became attached to two characters um, with Anton Yelchin being a very endearing villain. And here I never really cared for anyone at all. Interesting. Um, w- w- we can say that uh, it is set in upstate New York. It's based on a true story um, about a couple um, public school district administrators, a superintendent and his like assistant superintendent, I think, who um embezzled millions of dollars from their school district Mm -hmm. um to me the like clear theme is kind of one about temptation and greed and how um once you're um getting away with something that you shouldn't be doing how easy it can be to uh how tempting it can be to only further indulge yourself to the point that inevitably you'll be caught and just um the uh slippery slope that um greediness can be um so you're saying the student journalist isn't the villain that is correct radical take hot take she devalued a lot of property for for people that she did um i think yeah i I think it's uh very witty i think the satire is um really compelling i think it's all in the craft in the score and how um it is a- approaching these characters who i think totally fully realized um and it's not cartoonish in the way satire can be it's in that kind of phony grandeur in the score and um yeah i think like these ideas are are great stuff and it, yeah, I would have thought this reminded me a lot of like Alexander Payne and election specifically. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I think there's all kinds of great stuff here. I find it empty and I, I don't want to use the word, but the it's something like the word boorish. Like it's just mm. like there's no real substance to what I'm seeing. It seems very, uh, cut out realism, put on a popsicle stick, acting out a perfectly meticulously pre-planned guideline for that popsicle stick to take. Hugh Jackman is doing great craft work, but I'm not left feeling moved or impacted or, intrigued or have i don't have any emotional resonance in any way to any facet of this film i hadn't i've 100 responded to it we're we're coming from very different angles i thought hugh jackman was very good i I really like how he uh suggested the 
the charisma of this guy. He also hints at this flamboyant side of the character. You see that in the way he can sip his uh, mm-hmm. smoothie that he gets every morning. I think Alice and Janney is hilarious. And I think between those two characters and the young blonde woman who also decides to put her hand in the cookie jar, um, you you get a full sort of arc between the three of them of what it looks like to... Um, take advantage of an opportunity and i i think that's kind of brilliant that it would be so formulaic if this was sort of a start to finish thing with say hugh jackman and we saw him at the beginning maybe dip his hand into the public school uh into their cash you know for the first time instead we see that in this uh young girl who's so nervous about doing it at first um and then is slowly kind of emboldened by it Alice and Janney takes it, it for granted that she'll never be caught. Um, I think between the three of them, you get a really full picture of what um, this temptation would have felt like. And I think that's what's so great about it is that these are all very human characters. It's interested in their fallibility, not just uh, skewering them for what they did. I, yeah, I think there's there's great realization of these characters. I, I don't disagree with you. All I can say is I didn't feel any of what you're talking about at all at any point during any part of the film, except for maybe Ray Romano's character, who I think is the most endearing and emotionally uh, mappable character for me to grip onto. I don't feel like anything Hugh Jackman ever does is real at some level. Like he's just a, a guy playing a part, which I think is part of what makes the performance good i i gave this a uh, 50 roughly like a, a two and a half out of five i don't feel really strongly against it i'm still very interested in Corey finley developing in the future i love the delicious moments of alice and janney being a crooked crony those are fun but she's not a mappable character that I can be on board with. Much like in I, Tonya, when she's not a mappable character I can be on board with. Mm. She's just playing a role that I can find delicious and have fun. But she's not bringing me, um, I guess, a, a side to be on. And sometimes as a viewer, I, I need to um, to be on someone's side if the craft isn't enrapturing to me. And I didn't find mm. the craft enrapturing either. There's mm. just so much that I didn't care for and i didn't hate anything so it's the worst most boring hot take for me because i'm not like i don't hate it i think that you should watch it because you'll probably like it it's a fine middle of the road film it's better than fahrenheit 451 from hbo last year which Mm -hmm. is at least something but it's not meaning i'd rather watch share three times in a row than watch this one more time I I had a completely different response to The Craft. I think it's one of the best-looking movies of the year. It's immediately apparent that it's shot on film. I think the colors are super rich, and the the depth of the color is fantastic. I think it's surprisingly dark. Um, Like, this is not a brightly lit high school satire. I think there's a lot of, like, black that's in sync with the the corruption that we're learning about. Um, I think he makes this as cinematic as you can to shoot this in a in a high school in fairly unexciting locations. And I think um, he's creating tension with, you know, these tracking shots and careful framing when we're seeing in the corner of a frame, the ceiling of the schools, you know, 
leaking water, um, these short sighting shots when there's tension between Hugh Jackman and Ray Romano. Like, I think it totally proves that he's got what it takes as a director. And what's really interesting to me is that my understanding is that he started out as a playwright and that he originally conceived of Thoroughbreds as a play and then realized it had cinematic potential. I believe that's correct, yeah. And then for him to go on and just kind of be a gun for hire on this one where he's he's he hadn't penned the script. Uh, he's just um, taking control of the camera. It shows that he's totally got it, that he has kind of made that leap from um, writer to film artist and he's using grammar to tell this story. I think it's just kind of phenomenal. I forget what the exact line is, but I believe Matt Singer made the point that it's clear that he can be a gun for hire, but whether or not he's an auteur, the jury is still out. That essentially sums up where I'm at with him. Like, I, I would agree he directed fine. He got very good performances for these roles. At some level, the material clearly just doesn't work for me. And I, I'm kind of at the point where I just accept that. I don't think that I'm that this is a movie that I would ever feel passionate about. Um saying really negative things where there's other movies where like i'll i'll go to bat and say that like they're just terrible this isn't something where i feel comfortable saying that all i can say is i had zero personal resonance with the piece and like matt singer said i'm still not thoroughly convinced that he is auteur the way that i am with eggers or aster who i i i put you know him in that that class of filmmakers coming up right now and i was looking for more right now he's you know for me personally last in the tier of of those up and coming directors cuz i I'm, I'm just more interested in what they have to say as artists because i find them to be auteurs yeah i definitely think he is in this up and coming class of directors to me he's better at working with ideas than those directors might be i think those are those guys might be attracted to um, like images that that I find more appealing and like genres that are just kind of inherently more exciting, right? Something mm-hmm. like The Lighthouse or Midsummer, like well, Thoroughbreds is incredibly thrilling for sure. Um, but you know, my my problem with something like The Lighthouse is that it kind of feels like it's form in search of meaning. Like I I I don't mm-hmm. find that that movie that movie to be very engaging and yeah i do think there is a sense in which auteurs are you know to be a true auteur you both have to kind of have conceived of the idea and be bringing it to the screen yourself but you know also if you just think about you know the you know the classic sort of um french new wave definition of director as artist you know throughout film history you know great directors haven't written their own material and they put their own stamp uh, on it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I think you just totally get that with the movement of the camera and him, you know, doing things like short sighting and, you know, techniques that are instantly reminiscent of thoroughbreds. Yeah. The reminiscent, the one, I mean, major piece of criticism I have for thoroughbreds is it feels as if it is a film presented through a diorama. Like, it it is just so dioramic that, like, I can tell you the living room and you can remember the couch with the love seats placed and the TV. 
glow and them sitting there at night and the way that those windows are and just how rich that like there's a diorama quality to it that I wouldn't equate to hereditary which is also That's kind of a so diorama. diorama-ic. It, that she builds dioramas. Yes, it, it is very dioramic but it's not as um artifice, I guess. Hereditary mm. feels more lived in. Thoroughbreds feels mm. more artifice. Um more like a landmark that has this action taking place rather than an action or rather than like a piece of the story itself. I, mm. I don't know. There, there's some sort of um, a disconnect. I, I wish that I knew how to place it better, but I, I agree. That's why I was making the point that they're both dioramic, but the dioramic qualities of hereditary are more, um, unembellished or more naturalistic to the entire storytelling. The The house literally becomes a part of the narrative at one point with the fire um, in Hereditary and in Thoroughbreds you know, sound essentially is our, our main cue in that house. The house itself is never really that um, lived in. It just feels like a, a place that they navigated the hallways in. Um, and that's kind of something that I don't like in film from creators. And that's something Bad Education did, is it felt like there were just players in hallways rather than the hallways speaking um, to me in the film. Um, and that's just like a personal taste thing that, you know, I could be totally arbitrarily wrong on. Well, I don't want to sidetrack us too much talking about thoroughbreds, but I will confess that sounds... That is so backwards of how I read those movies. To me, Hereditary, which I love. That was on my top ten of the year it came out. To me, that is, like, defined by its dollhouse aesthetic. And that's what's so great about it. Um, I I have trouble imagining Thoroughbreds being the one that strikes you as too diorama-like. Um, interesting. It, it's, it's almost like it's a two-dimensionality of the diorama rather than a three-dimensionality of the diorama. Mm. Um, it's not its presentation. It's just something fundamental about it. I, I, I wish that I could be more distinctive about mm. what I'm saying, but it's just an intangible feeling that um, I have very strongly without any good way of expressing it. Fair enough. So, completely different responses. Do you think it handles any of its themes well do any of these strikes yeah, as the, well articulated the, the thing that i brought up earlier with um when ray romano brings up the point about um how everybody's land values has increased because the school value increased and you if you do that you're going to be basically destabilizing this group of people who've moved into this neighborhood it's very important because that is the ground level of power that this has that's that is the the entire purpose of schools to government to taxpaying citizens at some point of power structure. That's all it is. And I found just the clearness in which they communicated that to be great. I, I really liked that point and wish that they would have doubled down and made that point about the colleges that are just as corrupt as the school is. Um, so it, to me, it's more of a top down thing where the colleges are this corrupt. So you have to make the school this corrupt in order to succeed into the corrupted colleges. Um, and just fixing the thing at the bottom of the food chain, isn't going to change the top of the food chain. 
Yeah, I would agree. There's no real comment about the next stage in these kids' lives. But for me, it's the movie is clear about this not being uh, specifically applicable to public schools because we get that character of um, the father of the student reporter mm-hmm. who's been uh, let go from you know an investment bank because of insider trading. And it sounds like he didn't actually participate, but mm-hmm. he knew of it and just didn't do anything. So for me, it was easy enough to give the movie the benefit of the doubt and, and see, like, I don't think it would argue with you that there are other uh, institutions that are similarly corrupt because it's interested in just the, the, the human nature at work here and how when people first indulge in that um, temptation, how slippery that can be and how tempting it is to just only further um, take if, when you, when you know you can get away with it. Yeah. I, just didn't respond i i can't strongly disagree with you all i can say is i just didn't respond to any of that stuff and it sounds very true fair enough (laughs) i wish i had more passion for this i just was really uh middle of the road disappointed didn't feel strongly for what i was watching didn't feel strongly when i finished it um the more I talk about it, the more lukewarm I am. It tends to happen sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think we have our biggest division of the episode out of the way. I think. I Maybe the biggest division thus far this year. In a while, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, that's Bad Education. The last movie we'll talk about where we can follow beginning to end. It only gets a little more challenging to follow from here, yeah. On to Pablo Lorraine's Emma. Arthur. Si mi cuerpo es real, mi lengua es real. Es tu culpa que no hayamos podido soportarlo. Como la cara de tu hermana. Es tu culpa que a mí me duela todo el cuerpo. Yo no debo venir. Es tu culpa que la gente nos mire en la calle como si hubiéramos asfixiado a un perro con una bolsa de plástico. Vamos a estar bien tú y yo, ¿no? Estamos bien. Sí, sí estamos bien. bien. No necesitamos nada. nada. La no. gente no quiere. Sí. So, as we mentioned in our intro, this was just streaming for 24 hours on Mubi yesterday. So we both watched this last night. Still mm-hmm. very fresh. Um, I had very high hopes for this movie. Um, I did not. No? I, I had very middle-of-the-road hopes. I've never seen Naruta. Never seen No. Jackie is one of the most unique pieces of film I I think I can point to in the last decade. Uh, I feel like that's, it might be something of a one trick pony. Um, even though that's a terrible metaphor for that, it might just be his crowning achievement and there might be no good reason for it. Um, like to mm. explain or like break down in cultural context, it might just be that smashing hit where Natalie Portman had all this passion to do it. He had all this energy to get it perfectly framed and directed, and it might be his crowning achievement of his career permanently. That's how I went into the film. Like this is going to be a step down. I have also only seen Jackie, which I liked. I, I don't think I liked it quite as much as you did, but I was just nat- like naturally attracted, like the images of this movie. I thought the trailer mm. just looked dope. Um, it does. Uh, it's right, a lot more active. No one's bouncing. no one's talking about this movie without referencing things like climax, you know, or I've I've seen references to Trey Edward Schultz too because of the sort of maximalism of waves. Um, that all was like immediately attractive to me. Yes, I would. 
not think of Trey Edward Schultz in any way when I f- think about this film, but I guess the close-ups and the really um, charged emotional dialogue between these characters could be reminiscent to Waves, but that is such a different operating procedure of a film in which you actually know who the characters are when you're seeing them, who they're talking to, why they're talking about this. You can follow the dialogue chain, whereas Emma's a little bit more uh, hazy. Yeah, I think it was... And I think I would agree that it just, I, I think I understood that connection in terms of them being very overtly stylized mm. films. Um, That's fair. Very, you know, arguably ostentatious in their in their craft. There's a lot of cinematic brio on display here. Yes, I, I love Trey and I don't love this movie the way that I love Trey's movies. So I'm a little bit, given a little bit of pushback, but I think that's probably fair. There's a little bit of... Um, the most quaint or, or nice way of saying garish to both of mm. those films. Yeah, I would agree. And I liked Waves better than this movie, too, which I am mixed on. Um, I'm slightly above mixed. I'm generally positive on it, but I'm very mixed on how to communicate that. Fair enough. Um, it's set in modern day Chile. Mm-hmm. Uh, centers on a couple um, whose relationship is sort of falling apart after they return see now we already disagree like i feel like it's Mm. not about a couple it's about a large polyamorous group of people who are all lovers or something and that's where i start losing the thread of like or something i don't know the the definitions of these relationships but we keep hearing that they all sleep in the same bed together um Mm. although we never see all of them in the bed together which was something Mm. that i was waiting for for like a distinctive understanding of these characters do you disagree was it more about the couple by themselves to you uh i was mostly just trying to sort of establish the inciting plot mechanics well, i my suppose bad. My bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh i think that's what kicks it kicks this movie off is that yes. it centers on a couple whose relationship falls apart after they return a son they have adopted to social services Pull because up. of his polo his his name uh, because of like extreme misbehavior and violence he um uh has done some quite heinous things um, involving fire yes and, and hurting animals all kinds of bad stuff and then it's subsequently sort of the fallout on the relationship and specifically her um yeah yeah she is the center the titular emma um but yeah kind of then Getting back to what we were saying about style, it is highly stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, with, uh, it's very, very colorful. Uh, there's hardly a quiet moment. There's always this electronic uh, wash of a score, and there's tons of cross-cutting between um, dance and the drama itself because uh, she's a dancer and he's a choreographer. Um, there's also cross-cut between Emma and her various partners. Correct. She becomes, um, uh, she she sort of embarks on this trip where she's t- uh, taking up new partners, uh, men and women, spending more time with her friends, trying new styles of dance that her husband, soon to be ex husband, looks down on. Um, I just found that all of the ideas and drama was just sort of snuffed out by the 
style, which I just found to be too overheated. Um, but what about you? I feel similar things to that, but my counterpoint would be I felt like the style was so interesting that it's very disappointing that the rest of the film wasn't as interesting. 100%. Superficially speaking, I think the surfaces are great. I think it's, yes. it's, it's an intoxicating movie and its look and movement and sound. But I think this movie takes itself way more seriously than I can take it. There's a humorless to it, humorlessness to it that I like uh, was sort of on the outside looking in on because um, it seems a little like a little much. And, but then we have these weird moments of feeling like she's aware of how funny this stuff is, particularly moments where she's wearing the flamethrower apparatus or shooting the fire hose, which are the two uh, pieces of elements that we see her controlling. She's also um, what I would say metaphorically or mythically. This is a story to me that is a refreshment of the idea of the devouring mother, um, which is something that creates, but also destroys. And I believe that this film is representative of a mother who creates, but also destroys. And, Similar to The Invisible Life, the opening sequence in this film, although much shorter, completely defines the film for me, in which we see a stoplight that has already been lit on fire, dripping onto the cement and ceasing to function. Um, stoplights essentially bring order and into chaos and dictate what you should do. And this has been lit on fire and is dripping onto the cement of the city. And to me, this film is about that loss of what to do and mm. kind of lighting order on fire in a way to um, make the city give you what you want. Um, and I, I really responded to the iconography of the film which is part of its, you know, luxurious garishness, you could say. But it's those moments that we were talking about in which we have, like, super high amounts of crosscuts of dialogue and close-up where we don't know who she's talking to now. And it just gets a little bit oversaturated. It's a little bit much. There's no um, grip for me as the viewer to feel really passionately on her side or against her, which I think makes the movie suffer. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't know that I necessarily want to be on her side or be against her. I think I like that she is a complicated character, but that I just don't think the 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 very sort of overt symbolism interacts all that well with the sort of recognizable human drama at the center. Um, whether it's the relationship between Emma and Gael Garcia Bernal, who plays her husband. Or her, sort of like you were saying, to me, it's like she's wanting to just um, burn herself to the ground and sort of reinvent herself out of the ashes and take up this new kind of dance and start fresh. Um, it seems to be working more with big ideas while also kind of putting recognizable human beings in front of us that it doesn't uh, dig into in that much detail. Like, I just feel like these are... Um, kind of constructs. I, I don't know. I just could not connect with these characters in any in any in any very meaningful way. 
Yeah, they they do feel like constructs, and I I think that might be a little bit on purpose, um, just to iron out previously. I I don't necessarily want to be on her side or against her, but I do like movies where I feel one of those things, um, especially when it's really challenging, where I'm on someone's side and someone else isn't, right? When we talk about The Lodge, are you on Riley Kao's side at the end or not? Right? Like, that's that's fun to deliberate on. And this... It, there's lots of films like that, um, right? Like, whose side are you on in the first half of Waves? Right? Mm. It, there's, there's really interesting, complex characters that beget that debate. And to me, she doesn't have that level of interest where I feel passionately towards defending her or disagreeing with her. And that, I, I think would be a value here. Maybe I'm wrong and it's better to absolutely have no um, mappable liking or disliking to her, but I just feel very mixed and un, uh, ungripped by by my perspective of this character. Yeah. I think we responded similarly to the same things. It's just a matter of characterizing it differently. That's still strikes me as too too binary as like the the picking of teams somehow. I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know that I quite would have described my response in quite the same way. It's more just about how the how the content is articulated by the form um, and how this sort of seems lacking in specifics in a way. Um, this becomes sort of just like this hedonistic odyssey for Emma as she starts. <laughs> you know, sleeping around with all kinds of different people and hooking up with different people in rooms that are wherever they are, are always lit like a club. Um, and I, I'm not really anywhere. I'm not in any way familiar with what's inside her head. Um, which is more of the problem for me, less than like whether or not I'm rooting for her or against her, I guess. Yeah, it's not, I, I wish that I could, once again, express this a little bit more detailed. It's not that I want to pick a team. It's that I like the feeling of passion, which means wanting to pick a team. And I have no passion for this character either way. I have no instinct to defend or rally against. I have no care in general about the outcome. I don't feel like she should get her kid back, but I also don't feel strongly about her not getting her kid back. Um, and I, I think that that to me just points to a little bit of empty characterization in which Agreed. I, I maybe would prefer to have a little bit stronger emotion. Um, and I particularly like when the strong emotions are mixed and someone else has a totally opposite perspective, right? Someone either loves Cedric Diggory or thinks he's weak in Harry Potter. Someone loves Draco Malfoy or thinks that he should have been, um, you know, given a, a chance at the end for redemption um, in, a, in a bigger way than he was. To me, there's there's something of great value in characters like that, and she just doesn't have that level. Um, where maybe Gael does a, a little bit. He does seem genuinely remorseful and uh, maybe willing to entertain the idea of reggaeton being meaningful by the end, which, you know... I don't know. It's it's a weird movie that I feel very empty about its characters um, in general, but really responded to the iconography. 
Yeah, I would agree. Like, at the end of the day, I might still recommend this movie just because I think it's a cool watch. And mm-hmm. I think it sounds great and the dance is great. Like, it is super stylish. It's a fun movie to watch. I just think it's, yeah. I think we're on the same page, maybe, that there's just sort of uh, a lack of real <laughs> real meaning here. Or mm-hmm. I don't know. It could have dialed back the symbolism a, a little bit and just developed these people a little bit. Yeah, because its symbolism doesn't really do anything it, it, to me it's the iconography that is the best which is when it's showing inanimate objects beautifully stylized or inanimate objects beautifully lit on fire um in in a nightscape or something you know and that those things aren't necessarily um metaphors so much as just brilliant shots and if the stuff around that could have been um meaningful so that you're arriving at these moments after meaningful dialogue or meaningful interactions, then maybe they could have built, but instead they're just kind of landmarks of beauty along a mixed bridge. I would completely agree. Um, maybe I'm just okay at like accepting it as a two hour stylized dance film slash music video. And I'm good with that on those terms. It's pretty sweet, but not one that I'm particularly moved by. Yeah, yeah. I would never discourage someone from watching it. But I'd also be like, if you thought Emma was good, you should wait to watch Climax because it's the best. Yeah, I think it's a very fair point of comparison. And I don't think Climax takes itself anywhere as seriously as this movie does. I mean, what would you do if you couldn't dance? Suicide. Pretty serious, but yeah, it's formalism isn't nearly as serious. It's a lot more dance macabre, um, embracing the idea of the lens format genre of horror while also incorporating the level of dance to the camera choreography. Whereas this, Mm. as good as it looked, it didn't have that interesting of camera movement, which I was a little bit surprised by. Yeah, I think I kind of liked the camera work. I think it was pretty slick. Um, for the most part, I mean, that, that's kind of what kept me actually pretty entertained. Um, that plus the, the neon light and, uh, the score. I mean, I thought that was all pretty sweet, but yeah, fair enough. I think it was, I, I just think it lacked the, the next level that I, I look for in dance, um, genre of film in which the camera feels like a participating player. Yeah. I think it, it was well shot and everything, but it wasn't its own character in the film almost uh yeah. it, it, it's a beautiful looking film though so there's only so much i can criticize it's just i'd mm. like that pirouetting upside down kubrickian nightmare hellscape that no way mm. put on camera yeah to me in climax there's there's a lot more distance from the characters like you get just static shots where you're just listening to them uh just watching them talk watch them dance and I think that distance is pretty key in letting you consider these people and 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 what it is they think and are talking about. Um, whereas here, I think the the craft in Emma is very um, immersive. It's trying to be very immersive, but there's not that much air in it to uh, really consider the different angles of these characters. I guess I don't know. I feel like my cat might disagree with what you're saying. <laughs> she is not a fan, apparently. <laughs> Tearing up that post as you talk. Um, yeah, I 
this is, I, I mean, I'm a little bit more passionate about this than Bad Education, but this is just another movie that I feel mixed about expressing, but I f- I'm generally positive on it. When I think about its iconography, I, I like a lot of the still images. I would hang them up in my home. Um, the car on fire, the streetlight on fire, shooting the flamethrower into the night sky, shooting the fire hose into the daylight sky. Um, there's some beautiful shots in front of the sun. Um, the, the rooftop sequence is very good looking for a music video style. Um, but at the end, that's all there is. And that in and of itself is a bit of a disappointment. I would agree. Do you have a favorite scene? Um, do I have a favorite scene? Uh, gosh, do you have anything off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, it's boring and I've already talked about it, but it's that first shot of the street light being burnt and watching the drips fall and then getting the pan down and seeing the, um, the plastic liquid still on fire in the street. Fair enough. What's kind of funny is that this is partly about Emma embracing this new form of dance reggaeton, which is, you know, sort of the, uh, the, the new thing, the hot new thing. And this is partly about kind of old ways versus new, right? Uh, Gael Garcia Bernal's character totally rejects what they're doing. And, um, ironically, I think I vastly prefer his style. (laughs) Uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think the openings, uh, the sequences, which I think I think are on the cover of the movie with this mm-hmm. big orb in this black room um, that looks, you know, like a like a star up close or something like that. Pretty great. I think they should stick with his methodology. Absolutely. Yeah, that's <laughs> one of the things that I was confused about. And I guess that's contemporary Chile. This is reggaeton is taking over and it's, you know, revolting against the new. And that's essentially what this film is. It's a it's a it's a revolt um and you know new children you know all that's wrapped in here i think it's a little bit mixed and a little bit um empty because it's trying to do stuff without sincerely getting there um but his dances are the good dances those are the things that i would pay hundreds of dollars to go see downtown and in a theater performed (laughs) and what they're doing i just did not care about really most of the time like they're doing it well but that's not personally a dance that i find gripping moving or enjoyable um at all really we probably just lost all of our chilean teenage listeners who are embracing reggaeton right now that's a significant part of our audience. Right. I hope they'll forgive us. <laughs> have to hang up the mic. Maybe they'll uh, they'll extend us some some of the better beats that were not in that film, so we can attempt to enjoy reggaeton. I'm sure I'd Send enjoy your videos. dancing. At, uh, <laughs> yes, I'm sure I'd enjoy dancing it myself, but uh, less thrilling to watch. Um, so your favorite scene was. Oh, just some of the opening sequences. We're watching his routines oh, okay. in, in, gotcha. in, front, gotcha. in front of that. I wasn't sure if we got it was. that. Yeah. Um, turns out we got it. On to Robert Downey Sr., The Prince, is Putney Swope. That's it. 
One vote for Elias, one vote for Bessinger, nine votes for Swope. Swope! You don't have to accept. It's a terrible job. Don't take it, Swope! The man's been elected and you voted for him. We all voted for him because we thought no one else would vote for him. Putney Swope is the new chairman of this board. And I will defend that mistake with my life. Michael, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. This is instantly in your pantheon? This is instantly in my personal pantheon. Uh, I was watching this with a friend. When it ended, he said, no, it can't end. It needs to go forever. And that is exactly how I feel. Because it is so perfect and so disregarding of what you care or what your perspective is or what you want from it. It just does what it wants and it does it so sincerely and also so sarcastically. It's so rebellious. I love it. I'm right there with you. I thought this movie was hilarious. Uh, It's our one not new release of the episode. This came out in 1969. I talked you into it because of bad education. The idea was board switching or something like that. I actually, in hindsight, think it has a lot more in common with Emma in the sense of rebellion. Um, But Mm. go on. Yeah, I I will not have too many connections to make between this uh, and Emma or bad education, but thought this was outrageously funny. Um, It is uh, about an ad agency uh, whose chairman croaks in a board meeting in the first uh like 10 minutes of the film or so and the rest of the board members um vote on the soul how many syllables how many syllables i actually don't remember how many syllables (laughs) how many syllables for me (laughs) when the chairman dies he's stuttering and an old man at the table is asking how many syllables is the word you're trying to say over and over and over. And then he dies. They have the entire conversation. He's still there asking the dead corpse who's face down on the table how many syllables it is. That makes much more sense now. I do really regret not watching this closer to recording. This was the first one I watched in our lineup this week, which was a mistake. But yeah, chairman of the ad agency croaks and the rest of the board votes on a new chairman they all vote for putney swope the one not true okay there are a couple other people who vote for others um many of them vote for putney swope the one black guy on the board thinking nobody else will will vote for him and he inadvertently gets elected Mm -hmm. uh as head of the ad agency who and he changes the name of the company to truth and soul but hit Essentially what happens, the the lines are, I'm not going to rock the boat. Rocking the boat's something or other. I don't remember that line. I'm going to sink the boat. And the next thing we see is all the white people are gone besides one. And the entire board is black now. And um, one really fun anecdote that I found out listening to interviews with Robert Downey is they were in, like, the Chase boardroom or something, like, a real boardroom in New York that, like, they never should have been in, but the producer hadn't in, and they weren't allowed to leave. 
So everybody was in there the whole scene because they shot that all at once. So the black people that are later in the scene, those characters are all hiding under the table during the awesome. the white board meeting. And then all the white characters are hiding underneath the boardroom after it switches. And I find that just incredible. That is a great anecdote. And to me, that just speaks to the kind of scrappiness of the film that it's I find punk. Yeah. Uh, that I find very, very appealing. This is not terribly polished, but it's very unrestrained and uninhibited uh, and kind of just a, a go for broke satire of all kinds of things. And I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I think the jokes are just coming like one after another. There's really not a dull moment here. I think like 95% of these scenes are hilarious. I love this. You said lack of polish, and I feel like that's the perfect description. It's lack of polish is the same exact thing that makes it so incredibly charming. It's that. It's if it would have been more polished and more nuanced and more, you know, uh, heady, I feel like it would have got lost in the weeds and you wouldn't feel that level of sincere fuck you in which the poster depicts right it's putney swope is the the its poster is a hand holding up a middle finger and the middle finger is a woman um Mm -hmm. and that i just i this is such a meandering difficult film to talk about i'll just pick a random point and throw a dart at it and point it out do it the um the main character in the film freaks is the character who plays um mimeo the president Oh, so funny. And that is one of the funnier scenes. Um, There's also the photographer, whose name I'm now forgetting, who just continuously shows up, completely unrecognized, flipping through his photo book, saying, these are pictures for Colgate, these are pictures for so-and-so, so-and-so. And he talks himself down to 350 and then says, no, I'll do it for free. And Putney says, I can get anyone for free. Get out of here. <laughs> It's just, yeah, one thing after another. Uh, One of my favorite scenes was when President Mimeo, who is a little person, is with his wife and... Who's his sister? Is it his sister? Mm Mm-hmm. I believe so. His sister... Sleeping together? Yes. And his sister... part of the joke? His sister also played his fiance in the film Freaks. Oh, interesting. Got it. Oh, you mean like the actor or something? Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought you meant that they were... The characters were... No, 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 I was like, no, pretty sure they were husband and wife. I believe they were circus um, actors together, and then they became actors after they graduated out of the circus. Understood. Um, it's when uh, the two of them are with two of his advisors, I think they are, one of whom is bald, and the bald guy makes a joke that they start laughing at, and then they just can't stop, stop laughing. laughing. And it's just, like just utterly contagious. I wasn't laughing at first, and then I started laughing, and then I was really laughing. That's exactly <laughs> what happened to me. And it's because he he asks if you've ever heard a joke, and then he waits a quarter of a second and starts telling the joke as if your reaction to whether or not you've heard a, or if you want to hear a joke matters. Like it's, there's a, so many levels of absurdism to the comedy that, and it's so um, dignified because it isn't holier than thou. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so regal in a way. Um, that that stuff just can't be unless it feels this scrappy and this this slap together sincerely. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I feel like there are kind of different angles to it and satirizing different things, whether, you know, race obviously being one, but, you know, advertising and consumerism, but some of just the workplace stuff was the funniest to me. Like one of my favorite bits was when a white guy comes to Putney to talk about his salary and he says, I want to raise because I'm making less than everybody. And Putney says, well, if I raise your salary, I'm going to have to raise everybody else's salary. And then we'll be right back to where we started. You'll be making less money. And he said, well, Putney, I really hadn't thought of that. And he said, and that's why you make less money. You don't think. Easily my biggest laugh of this movie. Mr. Swope, I do exactly the same job as the other executives, but I don't make as much money as they do. I don't think that's right. If I give you a raise, everybody's going to want a raise. And if I give them a raise, they'll still be making more money than you. And we'll be right back where we started. Are you ready um, for another anecdote? What do you got? This movie it, Robert made because he worked at a advertising firm. And this was kind of to provide some therapy for him to get over that. Those lines, my understanding, according to him, is that those are all real lines that were said to him and his friend when they went in because he found out that his African-American co-worker was making less money than him for doing the same job. So they went in to tell him and that's the answer that they received. And he just put exactly that into the film because it was such bullshit. Yeah, you, you you think it's all very absurd, and then you find out it's true. Jolie makes it kind of that more outrageous. Yeah, it's yeah. um, it's a film that also um, gosh, what's that version of film spotting that isn't film spotting? Um, like one of the other podcasts? Yeah, the one from Tasha Robinson, Genevieve Kotsky. Oh, the next picture show. Yeah, they paired this uh year or two back with um. Now I'm forgetting the name of it. Keith Stainfield, Tessa Thompson, uh, Army Hammer, Boots Riley. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. That's yeah, funny. I thought that was a, a perfect um, pairing. Or For someone who's not aware of what Putney Swope is, it's basically a, a film in which there's white voiceover for the black actors. And it's it's a criticism of racism in the country. And it, it feels very, very similar. Apparently, Boots Riley had never seen this film. And I, I don't know if he's seen it since, but was kind of up in arms about people comparing it because um, he'd mm. never seen it. So I, anybody that has seen Sorry to Bother You and liked it, I would say would probably love this because um, I love this. And I was mixed more on Sorry to Bother You. Yeah. But I yeah. still think it's good. I would I would happily do a double feature of those and i'd probably like sorry to bother you even more like in the context of this film i have to imagine right yeah yeah um yeah it was uh ironic this was the first movie i ever watched on tubi which is an ad supported service mm -hmm. the irony of that was not lost on me um since advertising is obviously a big source of the satire he here too the 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 clips from the actual ads that the agency puts out completely hilarious um those all land for you absolutely um the one thing that i really respond to about the form here is that i believe the entire film is shot in black and white except for when they're shooting on the sound stages for the ads obviously i can't appreciate the quality of the color um as i can't see it 
but I love the idea of the most vibrant parts of the film being the ads as far as visual context goes and having it be the most flamboyant, empty, money-grubbing part of the film as well. Um, I really responded to that idea a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, just the idea of the the absurd ways in which products are are sold to us or marketed to us uh is yeah just spot on they're all they're all super funny and just outrageous you gonna get some face off it started last weekend at the L. Howard game, girl, I saw your beaver flash. I'll never be the same. Oh no! You gave me a soul kiss, boy. It sure was grand. pretty convincing anecdote <laughs> that that kid had it worked for him put some bread on it <laughs> lots of good stuff uh yeah i don't know i have too much more just super funny it's fantastic a, yeah it's a wide film that that's kind of hard to pour in on i guess what do you think about the overhead shot of new york when we begin great shot probably one of the more striking shots in the whole movie uh taken from yeah like a helicopter or something i have to assume yeah 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 one of those very early overhead shots that i've i think i've only seen shots like that at that point in time from um herzog maybe i think Mm. that's the Mm. only other person i can think of putting a camera in a helicopter giving me the crazy Mm. shots like there's other helicopter shots but there are not that artisanal i guess Mm. yeah 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 it's a striking opening and then i think the rest of the whole film is like indoors in in Mm -hmm. the workplace um yeah probably threw some money at that opening shot worth it um gosh there's just so much i feel like we we haven't even scratched the surface of 
putting the money in the fucking vault clear thing but shooting it in there like it's a basketball very satisfying um how that all gets lit on fire and he takes his money like i I guess what do you think of putney he's a complex character who's also completely empty right like you don't really get a sense for who he is or why he's doing this or who he was before he became the board manager or what he's going to go be with the eight million dollars he takes like do you have any any strong feelings or emotions about that um st- strong opinions about him um i don't think so you're right there's there's not a lot of background uh he rises to the top quickly mm-hmm. um yeah i don't i don't know that i have to have have any strong takes um what about you i mean i, I kind of expressed yeah. everything in just defining it like it it is interesting that he is our hero but is like that's what's interesting is he our hero he's our titular character but like who is he is he good or bad i feel like i'm on his side because i love the film um very strongly and i love the changes that he brings to truth and soul because that made the film happen and i loved it but i don't know who he is or or what he's about which is where i I find it interesting. I don't feel like there's a, a criticism to be made there, but I, I do wonder what that speaks to, I guess, about maybe what Robert was trying to say. Cause I, I feel like there is something of interest or, or of quality there to, to be um, lensed in on. Yeah. Yeah. I would completely agree. I will confess that I think my, my critical faculties were diminished as this thing went along in terms of following his arc in you know initially he is very sort of morally righteous about not wanting to market certain products and mm-hmm. that kind of thing and i think i think that maybe starts to slip away towards the end yeah but yeah well, be, he right he signs the, the thing is that it doesn't disappear he acts like it does yeah. and, um so the ending essentially is he agrees to market all those things and they give him the money then he goes to take the money from the vault and he's testing his group when he tells them that he's going to do that. And they they all say no. Then when he goes to get his money, they've all changed their mind. Mm-hmm. He's leaving. He's not going to do that. He was kind of, I feel like, testing them. But then he doesn't judge them or anything. Mm-hmm. He says, split it between you. He says, don't give any money to two or three people. And then he makes off with, with the cash. And then they all fight yeah. over it. And it gets burnt. Yeah. Maybe that's partly why I was hesitant to give this a perfect score was only because uh, I was so focused on just like the the particulars of, you know, the, the comedy from scene to scene that I found myself thinking less about um, Putney's transformation because I was too busy wondering, like, why is Mimeo wearing that helmet? Uh, there are too many other <laughs> details that are, are getting my attention. <laughs> to me, this film is is kind of a, a mixed media piece in which it's all, it is live action, but it is absolutely and completely influenced by cartoons, specifically the Looney Tunes. Like mm. to me, it is just so cartoonish, um, but also an adult version of a cartoon that those absurdisms and 
gosh, the consultant getting off the helicopter in the beginning with the briefcase handcuffed to him um, so that he can tell them what people from the middle of America uh, think when or are who they are when they drink beer. It means they have small dicks, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to sell them big dicks, essentially. And then they start spewing the lines of, uh, this beer gives you has big head. It's big. It's 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 a hard beer, you know. And then the elephant's going to drink it. To me, there's there's a, a high level of almost vaudevillian comedy there, mm. just continuously throughout. And vaudevillian comedy was adopted by the cartoons, specifically mm. Looney Tunes. So I just saw a lot of like sincere transference there. And the fact that it doesn't try to make itself make sense, but tries to make you have fun the whole time and is beautifully framed. I think it it is a fantastic looking picture Um, that just goes so far to where I I would not give this film a perfect score, but it's a 97 to a 98 for me. So letterbox ratings, that's five stars. To me, I there's very few films that I've ever given five stars that I would think that about. The New World is one of the only ones that comes to mind. Even The Dark Knight, I wouldn't give a perfect score to. Yeah, it's way up there. Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, when I think of Looney Tunes, I mean, I kind of think slapstick. I don't know that I would have described this as, as slapstick. I think a, a lot about, like, the verbal wit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh that line there there is a scene where Putney's in a car and they're getting swarmed by some media some paparazzi and he fires off like five one-liners in a row you know something like you know did you sleep with someone other than your wife and he's or or, did you sleep with your wife or this other woman and he says not a wink Uh, there's all (laughs) kinds of just you know I don't just just sharp throw away one-liners that are amazing yeah no I would agree I I think that um, just with my my personal background with the the older Looney Tunes specifically in the the 1940s Looney Tunes, especially when there was like anti-racial sentiments depicted in mm. those cartoons, um, I just I got a lot of transference out of those, mainly because those are my number one cultural key in to the history that this film is reflecting upon. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, do you have a favorite scene? I think my biggest laugh was Putney explaining to that guy why he can't give him a raise. Um, that would have to be it. What about you? My favorite is just that line that I told you reminds me of Dolomite is my name. Put some bread on it. And just him randomly during that conversation saying, bread, get some bread on it. Bread. What about that bread? lots of good stuff uh this is a film about securing the bag essentially um i love it i would highly recommend it i believe it's free on youtube um it's also free on tubi um i don't know how legal the youtube one is i just saw it when i googled the trailer so maybe stick to tubi but that's your at your discretion listener word until next time. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! And that's another one in the can.